Alright, I think we're roughly leveled out. Leveled. I, uh, I mean, I just turned... I'm roughly leveled. And then you... You are. Your level's not yeah. smooth. A lot of people say that about you. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. It'd be a lot easier if it did. But, you know, you, de you, deal, uh, you deal with the cards you dealt. You're dealing with the cards of contesting wrestling that are being dealt to your ears right now from us. Hi. Uh, are we? What is Who this? are we? Uh, we. Wait. <laughs> What's going on? I don't know. I will say, I don't Is this a premium episode? I don't no, even know. No, what we're, we're going to start on the, the regular episode. Okay, we're doing a main. We should probably cut that. Yeah. What, do you know what number <laughs> we're up to? 17? Um, I think it's 17. No, I, I, I want to say 19. No, uh, how, how many, 17. How many times are we going to say we're going to stop numbering this before we. It's not that's open the, yeah, every that. episode with arguing about. <laughs> Why don't you just get a tote, keep it like right here, and then just yeah. like every. Yeah. Well, things end up changing because like sometimes we'll want to push an episode up. Oh. Yeah. And then we, in the, because of the numbers in transistor, it's a pain in the ass to renumber everything. So then we just make it like a point five. I, okay, I, I don't know that. what that blood curdling scream was outside. But... Eh, just children. Children. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's hard to tell the difference sometimes between children and people getting murdered uh, mm. when it's happening outside your window. Yes, sir. Especially um, when you're murdering children. Wait, so, I got this. So yeah. this is this is episode. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this is, uh, this is a special episode in that we have a special guest. I'm special? Yes. yes. Hi there. You are indeed. We are joined. See, well, since okay. it's a regular episode, we should introduce ourselves. Yes, that's a good I'll point. I'll introduce our special guest uh, after that. Well, this is a podcast in which I, somebody who has a history of not enjoying professional wrestling, uh... You, Evan Burke. I, yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting to that. <laughs> I'm going to explain all that. Uh, where I, Evan Burke... On Twitter at Evan Burke, etc. Uh, I don't understand wrestling, and I relentlessly grill two of my closest and oldest friends, uh, sometimes three, but Betsy is not here today. Uh, about why, why, why is this? Why, why do this? You can test wrestling with us, uh, largely. Yes. Yeah. So we decided to record all of that, and uh, yeah. So my name is Doc Diamond Fire. I've been in wrestling for. Uh, for a while now, for you know, eleven years or so, uh, I do you know wrestling announcing, uh, commentary, a little bit of everything. Uh, book me on your show and all that. And uh, professor, I am Doctor. Who, who are you? The, who am I? Who are that you? That is a perennial question. Yeah. That was your doctoral thesis. Kind of, yeah. yeah. It was what is yeah. a person? Yeah. yeah. No, I, I know. Um, I yeah. was making I was making a, uh, an informed joke. And I will make an uninformed joke, and it is a perennial question, meaning that it issues from my perennium. You can cut that. Um, I will not. <laughs> I know you won't. Um, you can, but <laughs> but should you? I, I no. Have the option to S do so. Try saying please and being polite. <laughs> uh, no, I will never yes. pol be polite to this one. But anyway, I am. Now that I say all that, I am for the time being a professor of philosophy at Mercy College, and hopefully will continue to be after they hear this. But um, uh, yes, and I am a scholar of professional wrestling. I will be um, participating in the first ever WrestlePosium this April. Yeah. Who's who is like the wrestling and philosophy guy? Me, there, right? It, no, it is you right now. Like you're not. As gonna... far as I know, it's me. Because oh, I was gonna say, like you, you know, you're. Are you gonna have to take someone down to become? Because it is... is your destiny as somebody who has known you for twenty plus years. It is your destiny to be that guy. What about there... Lucha Plato? Oh, well, there, yeah, but I mean, he's back in ancient Greece. Okay, and right, if he yeah. doesn't time travel <laughs> to the present again, I'm safe. Okay. There is one woman uh, in England who I know gave a talk 
on the philosophy of pro wrestling. And there is uh, an, another person who's going to participate in the symposium. Uh, but I don't, as far as I've seen so far, they don't have any published work on the topic. And this podcast counts as publishing. So oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm first. Uh, if you can dispute that. Please, I want to hear your ideas. I, I am doing this. Them. I yeah. am doing this podcast uh, largely because I have given up on a writing career. So this is a way easier way to just get stuff out there. You just gotta publish. Uh, I want to hear your ideas and refute them, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, them. Uh, and, and contest them. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and would you like to introduce our guest this yes, week? Yes, our very special guest is uh, my dear friend M2J Matt Josephson who uh, I've known for over a decade now. Scary. Which is really scary. Yeah. Um, he was uh, host of the long-running wrestling podcast, Doing the Job, which um, was the first wrestling podcast that I anyone I knew personally uh, produced. Trailblazer. So absolute, an absolute trailblazer for this show. Um, uh, he has become notable as a ringside photographer at many indie wrestling events in the New York area. Uh, that's a good um, gig. And he is uh, another expert on professional wrestling. S- self-professed historian, wrestling historian, Indeed. if you will. And, you, and one of the reasons we're having you on is... Uh, you know and experienced more of 80s pro wrestling, being slightly older than me, uh, and um, about the same age, I think, as Doc, but Doc started watching wrestling later than okay. you, I think. Yeah. But why don't you tell us all of that? Welcome, <laughs> Matt. Um, what? Tell us about uh, how you got into wrestling. Oh, wait, I could, I, I could bring back my podcast gimmick here that I usually do. Oh, do it. Oh, yes. yes. Top of the hour, Cobalt at you, a contesting wrestling podcast. Thank you for having me today. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Yeah. Uh, I started watching wrestling when I was the wee age of, like, nine years old. And uh, uh, Hulk Hogan, obviously, was was the mm. biggest twinkle in my eye at the time. So, I, right, right, you are a true Hulkamaniac. Tried and true. Not a gimmick. Not a work. And I do have to mention that it was a huge oversight of this podcast not to have you on either of the Hulk Hogan main feed episodes that we did. But we will record a premium episode about the Hulkster with you. Um, and but if you want to talk about Hogan here as well, you're perfectly I, it'll, it'll come up, I'm sure. Because <laughs> when you know when we did the Hogan episodes, you know I, I was like, hey guys, we need to do uh, these Hogan episodes because it's you know it's it's something it's just a big priority for this. Uh, and then I remember you know we were planning them, and Ben, you said, oh, we should get my my friend Matt on this, and that was when I pulled out my gat and I fired wildly into the air and screamed, no, we're doing this shit my way. You fucking understand that, and you were like, "Sorry, sorry," and you all relented. And I now, I made a mistake, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna own up to that right now. You know, it's it's okay, Evan. You, your your heart was in the right place. You figured it was a crucial part of the foundation of your knowledge, and we went over a bunch of it. But we did save a little piece for Matt here. As a whole, my heart was in the right place. Unfortunately, many of those bullets wound up in the wrong place, which is inside of people. Anyway, yeah, uh, as you were upstairs, saying, upstairs, because you, know, you can't just stuff. fire into the air in an apartment building. Yeah, I know. I should have been outside. I should have taken that outside. <laughs> yeah, I, I can appreciate the importance of Hulk Hogan as a pop. major Hulkamaniac, so I understand <laughs> why you had to get to these episodes right away. And, and he paid for it because uh, <laughs> Evan did not enjoy the vast majority of Hulk Hogan matches that we watched, which is why it's actually kind of great that all that stuff's out there now and. Um, you know, you can let him know what you think about that, uh, brother. Now, I, I will say, I will say, and and this is, I think I said this on the episodes, too, where mm. I absolutely understand um, 
like, had I been the right age and watching wrestling at the time, uh, there's no question as to why Hulk Hogan mm-hmm. was super popular. Like, I don't, I guess I feel sort of Hulk, towards Hulk Hogan the way I feel towards the band Kiss. Where, like, if you were a fuck, if you were 13 in 1976 mm-hmm. like yeah obviously you were gonna love kiss you're gonna be into them if you are like somebody who just got into kiss in the last few years i don't understand you or your motivations or okay what, I, you know I, like I, that I, kind I of get thing that analogy but at the same time i mean those those bright red and yellow colors like you can't look away no you cannot look away I, from hulk hogan I, as and one of these matches that we watched i will say especially uh the there was a tanning mismatch going on in one, in one <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that yeah, that's gonna be the, the the premium episode. so what, what are what are we watching today well, well let's let matt finish oh yeah sorry. we interrupted him like one sentence oh, into yeah. telling us <laughs> how you got into wrestling yes yeah, yeah carry on we'll i up. i it was saturday morning it, i just remember leaving the tv on after cartoons and, and pro wrestling would come on and raw was still on from the previous monday uh, this this was actually pre- i know this is pretty raw this was um this was, what year is this this is Late ninety, early ninety one. So we're talking primetime right. wrestling. Um, okay. I would watch on. It was funny because there was a show. I and there was a an affiliate station upstairs. I don't even know if it was affiliate. I think it might have just been an independent station. And they had a show called Wrestling Spotlight on at ten a.m., which I have a lot of trouble finding anywhere on like the internet, which is yeah. which is rare. Where and then at eleven o'clock on Fox, there was uh, a, there was uh, superstars, I believe. And then I think USA had All American Wrestling at noon, so I had three hours of wrestling to choose from on Saturday mornings. You lived in upstate New York, right? Yeah, uh, in Lexington. Yeah, I lived in Lexington, New York, which is a, a small town that currently has no gas station or, or any businesses at all, really. So I think there were wow. like really small scale uh, regional syndicated wrestling shows that like didn't show up anywhere else. I, I think that's probably yeah, Spotlight was on if I remember correctly it was WTZA channel 62 on the UHF. Was it was it hosted by anyone in It was, of it notes? was usually Mean Gene and then they would have right. like Sensational Sherry would be like his co-host one episode, the next one would be like Jimmy Hart. It was always sort of like the like manager or like a B-list wrestler. Like it was never like Hulk Hogan or like Macho Man on there. Right, right. And like... they would like show matches just like they would on like Wrestling Challenge and Superstars, but they would like chat with the the talent between the matches, and like they would introduce, they would give their like they'd show like you know a Bret Hart and Paul Roma match, and Sensational Jerry would be like, oh that Bret Hart's you know piece of crap, you know, right, right. He needs to you know learn how to really like work that ring, <laughs> you know stuff like that. So you didn't oh, get Sherry. into wrestling until the very early nineties. Yeah, it's about a year or two before Doc and I. We were somewhere in '92, yeah. both of us. But what, what was funny was I went, started going to the, the the video store and renting all these. And it, it seemed like it was ancient, which it, like I rent like WrestleMania yeah. three. It yeah. seems like it, so long it ago. It seemed like it was like a millennium ago, and yeah. it was really just like three years. It was a few yeah, years it was, ago. It was like, it's, a 1985 felt as long ago in the early '90s as it does like now. I, I think part of it yes. is when, when you look at the product, like. The, the just the overall aesthetic of a WWF show in 1985 looked like worlds apart by 1988 like the production right it was like they, very, the, yeah, the, 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 they put such a high uh, such a high importance on improving their production value that year over year for a long time you can just see it improve if you look at like old tapes from Madison Square Garden from the late 70s the WWF looks a lot like the other territories that you could see on tape uh, except for the ones that use such disposable tape it looks awful and in the early 80s you could see a giant jump in production value in the late 80s you can see another one in the early 90s you could see another one and in the late 90s you can see another one one. Yeah. 
uh, they don't happen quite as often anymore. But still, when there's a new when there's a new technology, I, I remember when they like changed to HD, it was a big deal. You know, they were like, yeah. we're going HD now. They spent a hundred million dollars on you know new uh, studios and cameras and everything, but they they needed the production value because that's always been and to this day is still one of their biggest calling cards. Yeah, I think a lot of it is also a function of our age, right? As a little kid, a few years makes a, a huge difference. We hadn't seen that much wrestling yet. Yeah. So wrestling from a few years ago was like, you know, the before I, times. I think it is a perfect storm of the two because like I just, just if you look at like WrestleMania 1 even, which was like, you know, their, their S-tier show, uh, it's just very dark. It's not super lit. Um, I, you kind of just get like, it just seems like there's like this blackness around the ring. And then when you get to like 87, 88, it's like this bright blue yeah. And there's TV yep. lights now, like actual lights meant for yeah. television, like not just like house lights that, you know, they brighten a little bit. It kind of all looked like bootlegs until 88, yeah. 89. But, you know, I feel like it kind of looks more or less the same over the last 10 years or so. Like if you look at Raw from 10 years ago, it's already HD. It's already like brightly lit. Yes, there's not LEDs on literally everything you could put LEDs on. They have mostly the same roster. Yeah, right. I'm with yeah. you. Yeah, that's another thing back then. If, if like... The WWF moved in the, to the future for four years. It was not the same crop of guys Usually. the way it is now. I mean, there'd be some variant, but... Yeah. I mean, the Hogan era seemed like forever. Yeah. It was only about five years. Compare that to how long Cena was on top. Right. Oh. That's how long Roman's been on top now. Right. We, uh, I, there was something that we watched from 2002 yeah. uh, for uh, this episode, and I was like, or, or one of the episodes, and I'm like flipping through it, and there's like fucking Brock Lesnar is fighting the uh, is fighting oh, I can't remember somebody else but it was just this picture of Brock Lesnar I'm like Jesus Christ yeah like, we watched the fucking that, Brock gonna... Lesnar match from a month ago yeah that's gonna be on the premium episode uh, yeah that's Brock from when he first like debuted uh, but that was a long long time ago yeah. now you know on that note Matt I wanted to ask you sort of generally uh, before we get into the particular matches uh, how you feel about uh, Older wrestling, the wrestling you grew up with, in contrast to contemporary wrestling, and uh, you know what what what's better, what's worse. The actual matches today are, I mean, physically they're just more impressive. I don't know if you could. It's fair to say that they are better. Um, they just have they're churned out so much more rapidly than you know. They, they had a, a, an hour or two of like recorded shows every week, and like they could kind of curate the best matches they could get out of their roster back then. Um, and while at the same time not giving too much away with the, like you know there's not like a lot of Hogan matches on primetime wrestling for example but um, I do I, when I when I hear the old timers sometimes say like the the these whippersnappers got to slow down they got they're gonna hurt themselves like they're not really telling a story they're just kind of doing all these crazy moves like I think that argument actually holds water I don't necessarily agree with it all the time like I think sometimes you want to just watch like Osprey and Ricochet just go nuts like they're in the Matrix but in an, a live ring. I do think there is a time and a place for that also. But, you know, it's just the work rate was just very different back. It was much more methodical. The, the, the guys were all, like, you know, jacked up. They were, like, 300 pounds. They couldn't even put their arms down. They're not they're not huh. jumping, bouncing all over the ring. But there's still compelling matches in there. You, you bring up, like, Will Ospreay, like, in terms of slowing down. Like, he's probably, like, the guy on the cutting edge of the crazy moves these days. But, you know, occasionally people I know that don't know wrestling that I just know will send me, like, wrestling stuff. Mm -hmm. And at, at least two people who don't watch wrestling sent me the gif of 
uh, Osprey and Kota Ibushi, where like he, he gets you know uh, head scissors off the top rope, and they both like just land on their feet. Mm-hmm. And the thing that makes that gif so good and that little clip so good isn't the athleticism of the moves. The athleticism of the moves is great. It's that they do it and then they both stop, and the camera gets one of their faces, and then the other camera gets the other one of their faces, and that's where the tension really is, with the both of them being like that just happened, and they're both still. It's very like anime, you know. It's yeah. like a, you can hear both of their thoughts like the battle will continue but a lower level like indie guy who can do that move Mm -hmm. who can do the exact same move would do that move and then go immediately into the next move and then go immediately into the next move and then nothing matters at all yeah yeah still the the character and the the storytelling and their charisma uh makes the moment more than just the move but on that note, you know, as a fan of characters like Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage, who we're going to talk about and a Don lot Morocco. today. Okay, man. And Don <laughs> ah, Morocco, to say, yeah, the in, Rock, in his yeah. own way. I mean, he was fucking hilarious. He was amazing. Um, do you find that same kind of magic in the wrestling characters of today? It sprinkles, in, not definitely not all of them and not the same, but it definitely sprinkles in there from time to time. And you say, oh, okay, I, that's what gets me behind guys is like they're kind of a throwback. Like, I like Baron Corbin, for example, like, like him, him portraying his character on uh, Talking Smack back when that was a thing, it, or even more recently on Backstage. I thought he was really yeah. Good. I I didn't see that, but I've seen you know I've seen some of Backstage. It has a very similar vibe where it's like they're kind of just sent out there and, and they they're in character but they're ad libbing, and that was just the vibe of of the eighties. Well, and, that, oh sorry, and uh, it's I, I can say the same thing about Saturday Night Live. Like it was just like these brilliant comics getting wasted and then going on TV in character. The over-scripting of the yeah. current shows is probably its, it's worst Yeah, it's, it's awful. It just feels artificial. I, I, I've definitely found, um, as we like go back and forth between modern wrestling and the 80s, like there, while I generally don't enjoy the wrestling of the 80s as mm-hmm. much, um, promos now absolutely have nothing on the promos oh, of yeah. the 80s. The, the promos of the 80s were... These guys, like, channeling... It almost makes me think of, like, religious rituals mm-hmm. in ancient societies or, like, or like people speaking in tongues now where these guys are, like, plugging into these weird, like, sort of archetypical fucking ethereal demigod beings and just letting it flow through them. And the words are not... The words are not important the it's it's just i don't know like the like the fucking savage promo that was and like randy oh savage God, just the way randy just savage. the things that happen in his face yeah while he's talk, like there is uh, i i have i've never seen there are some promos i've seen from the modern day that are cool where people like dig into the character in a different way mm-hmm. but in terms of just like a raw expression of the human id like it yeah. is untouched from the it, 80s. Like, yeah. right now my favorite promos when i watch wwe tv is asuka when she's walking to the ring shouting in japanese at her yeah. opponent because you get all the emotions she's hitting she thinks she's better than you she's coming to the ring to beat you she thinks that's gonna be easy and you're gonna have to deal with it and then you have a match and maybe she wins and maybe she loses but who cares that was really cool right but since you've already brought up randy savage the first match that we're watching is the all-time classic from wrestlemania 3 randy savage versus ricky the dragon steamboat for a long time a lot of people and some people still do consider this to be the greatest match of all time i consider it to be the greatest match of all time if, if you were to 
watch wrestling at that point, almost all of the nationally televised wrestling coming out of the WWF was more or less Hogan style. It was large, plodding dudes making faces, breathing heavy, and, you know, slamming into each other. And then here comes Randy Savage and all his manic energy and Ricky Steamboat and all of his precision moves. And nobody had seen anything like this on a large scale before. And I, I don't think there had really be, been anything like it because it took the athleticism and the great pacing and the and the finesse and technical wrestling of like more of the NWA style right. and added the WWF pageantry on top of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, before we get way into the weeds in the match, like Randy Savage, Randy Savage's promo beforehand, he's wearing like this giant purple robe. He's holding the intercontinental belt like in front of him. Like it's, I don't know, like really like it's a sacred object. Like it's giving him power and he's giving it power as well. Even though he scratched it up with Brasso. Yeah. Well, whatever he did to What's it. that? <laughs> He tr- famously tried to like clean the belt with Brasso. That's why that belt was all like kind of oh, like no. scratched looking, oh, and the, the logo is all like, yeah. It's that- not. It's not like they have it today, where it's like they've explained now they have two belts for any given championship. They have the house show belt, which is what the the superstars have to travel with, and then they have what they call the HD belt, which travels with the truck and is handed to anybody right before they go on TV. I'm sorry, the HD championship, where they hand the championship to anybody right before you can they call go it on a fucking TV. belt, not on television. By the right. way, this <laughs> match is for the Intercontinental title, and I feel like this yeah. was the match that really established the Intercontinental title as the workers' title, as the title for great in-ring performances, whereas the world title was always for the biggest money-making, merchandise-selling guy. I I definitely thought watching this match, what year was this again? 1987. This is the same WrestleMania as Hogan Andre. Right. Hogan Andre is the main event on this show, but this was like the match that stole the show. Um, Because it definitely... It you see, I feel like you see a lot of strains that would come to prominence later, kind of like they sort of establish. Yeah. I know, like they're breaking out of the of the classic sort of strong style or whatever. You see, like there's there's a lot more not grace, strong, not style, strong. Yeah. You okay? I I don't know. <laughs> you I mean pa- you mean like power? Like all there these, we go. Like yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know what well, we, I'm we, talking about. Listeners. Yeah, as, that's the whole yeah, fucking that's... point of this podcast. Yeah. Is that? Um, but you're seeing them like. It's like they're not quite doing like full high flying. It's not quite like the breakneck speed or something, but it is uh, you're seeing the the beginnings of it. It kind of made me think of Hill Street Blues. Do you know what Hill Street Blues? Johnny Depp's was? first acting role? I th- oh, wasn't no, I'm, that? Th- I'm thinking 21 yeah, Jump yeah. Street. So Hill Street Blues was this cop show in the 80s that was basically the first TV show where the people writing it were like, "Hey, what if we made a TV show?" That was also good. <laughs> like, what if we tried to write it like so that it was like real good? And you watch it, and, and like, and like, and like David Simon, who created The Wire, was on it. David Milch, who went on to create Deadwood, like all, like all of these TV writers who went on to define TV in the late '90s and early 2000s, wrote for the show. And if you go back and watch it, it's not really actually that good compared to like because it's 2020 and we're used to watching like amazing shit on TV. But you're watching it and like compared to like shit from the 70s and beforehand, you're like, oh wow, this really was a a a step forward and contains 
sort of you see the seeds of all of these other things that would blossom in the genre later on. Yeah, influential, I think, is, is the real word you're looking for. Uh, rest, young wrestlers at the Seminal, time. Seminal, even. Yeah, yeah, young wrestlers and uh, aspiring wrestlers at the time would watch that match and want to emulate it yeah. instead of emulating what the top style was. And it was easier for them to because the top style could exclusively really be done by enormous guys. And not everybody was going to be that tall and wide. But Randy Savage always portrayed a lot bigger than he was, and so did Ricky Steamboat. Well, and that, you know, Ben, you have uh, you've talked in the past about how I think there was yeah there was an episode where we had watched another Savage match, and you were like shocked that I didn't notice Savage's physicality and all the stuff, and maybe I hadn't no- learned enough about wrestling or something. Um, I absolutely saw it here, where I absolutely yeah. saw him, especially for the time. Um, the just the the you know he's got like the speed and this precision and this grace and it led me to this is a this is my big meta question about wrestling for for the episode which is do wrestlers try to be graceful is there ever any thought give do you think any are there wrestlers yeah. giving conscious thought to developing their in ring gracefulness and dare I say beauty the good ones well i think that's a gross oversimplification of it i think that uh yeah a lot of wrestlers do want to be graceful but i think that it is possible and some wrestlers want to do that uh primarily and i think that that takes away from the storytelling if you're if you're too graceful unless you're so good you can do it all anyway like Shawn michaels can do all of it a bunch of B-level guys can very gracefully do all of the cool moves and hit all the cool poses, but not really tell a, a compelling story in the ring with everything. Personally, I like it when a match looks a little sloppy. Once again, with people who know what they're doing very well, because then it looks more like a fight. <laughs> well, yeah, not not that that gracefulness is like yeah. a necessary requirement, you know, because there was a lot of characters like we all. I watched my first real. Rowdy Roddy Piper match for a different episode. And I was like, oh, it's nice to see, like, just a fat guy trying to beat you up. Oh, yeah. yeah like, Piper's uh, great like, for that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that kind of thing. Like, I wish there was actually more of that in, in modern wrestling because, like, everybody now is, like, really shredded and awesome at the moves. And it would be cool to just see a guy who's kind of like my uncle starting shit at the bar. <laughs> Um, yeah, d- but but I guess for some wrestlers, it seems like a a, a factor. In a well, I've never I've never trained in a ring or wrestled, but like, with, is there some degree of grace just in terms of like perfecting your craft and working very safe, and that comes with grace, as opposed to the showmanship grace that might supersede that if you just get very comfortable and very good at what you're doing. If anything, you, you want to be as graceful as possible in practice. Right. Because that's a, a mark of just learning the body control. It's the same way that if you're never going to have like a fight in any martial arts style, but you train in that martial arts style, you want to do, you know, you want to do your katas perfectly. You want to do all your motions perfectly because that's the real point of training. Yeah, that's sort of what I was getting at in saying that it's the good ones who try to be uh, graceful yeah. because the ones, yeah, who, like, who pay attention to the craft and want to be safe and do everything really smoothly. And then, if you're really good... Make it look ungraceful. Exactly. Then you can build the roughness on top of that yeah. foundation. Like when you have those shirts that you printed and you, you, you build in the distressing on the shirt rather than just letting the shirt <laughs> age. Like the AEW logo. Or like distortion in music. There you go. You know? Bend that string. Put it a little closer to the amp. It'll it'll make a noise. If you're good, you can control it. 
Right. So the match itself. Well, just on the, on the gracefulness of it, really quick. Um, just some of the moves, particularly Ricky the Dragon Steamboat's arm drags. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. the way that Savage sells Iconic. them are really just the most perfect motion in all of wrestling history. I, I have found, as time goes on, like I love to watch a arm drag exchange. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like this is the earliest one that I have seen that feels graceful, that feels like two guys like where it's almost dancing, but they're still hurting each other. You had mentioned Owen Hart's yes. in the, in yes. the past. I, they got nothing on Steamboat's, yeah, though. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, what what is, what's what's Ricky the Dragon Steamboat's deal aside from being like, you know what, I'm going to have two weird names in my name. So uh, Ricky, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat is one of the best baby faces of all time. He, like, he never really turned to heel in his career. <clears throat> he started wrestling in the early 70s. He was already, like, early to mid-70s. He was already quite the veteran at this point. Uh, and really, his career didn't go on full-time that much longer. He was done uh, in the early 90s. He finished well, up. Well, Vince punished him after this match because he had a baby and Vince wasn't happy with people having children or taking any time off. Well, that's that's and, an, a that's a one way to put it. Uh, he I mean, he didn't he didn't want anyone taking any time off. Right. Ricky still. said, "Look, I, I need some time off." Vince gave him the time off, but first had him drop the title because yeah. they had the title on the shows every week. I was going to say I, I can't I can feel that energy from Vince yeah. in his relationship with his own children. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but you see Ricky Steamboat at WrestleMania 4 actually carry his son to the ring with yeah. him. Yeah. Vince didn't have a problem with him having the child. He didn't want to leave the title on somebody who wasn't going to be working his shows that he was putting on every night. But then he never, he never like elevated back to the level that he was at after WrestleMania three. And I think, well, yeah, that, he didn't I think, stick around. I think, I think, I think he didn't stick around. That was because Vince was misusing him, and I think that was his penance for taking time off for having a child. Yeah, well, impossible. he he went to the NWA where they let him be the world champion right. without working the same schedule. Hmm. And then I think Vince probably, if he punished him for anything, it was leaving for the NWA. Oh, yeah, and then when he came back, they actually dressed him up like a dragon. And I mean, had him breathe fire. Yeah. And that's partially a punishment, but also everyone had a stupid gimmick. Yeah. Then. Look, man, Except people, for Bret Hart people will say that that was dumb. Kids remembered that. Like, that really made an impression. Like, oh, it's so stupid. He's breathing fire. It's like, no, it's cool, man. He's breathing fire. It's one of the coolest things you could possibly do is breathe fire. I mean, that could be murder uh, on your teeth after yeah. a while. Oh, definitely. Okay. They also didn't put him over anybody. Or no, they didn't put him over anybody. That's true. The, o- the only criticism I had of uh, Steamboat in this match is that yeah. I feel like I feel like Steamboat sells really well in the body and not at all in his face. Mm. I feel I like through I've uh, this is a this is me yeah, fucking yeah. quibbling. Uh no, it's is, okay. that, is that it was it was just it was funny to see like he would like kind of move around but it felt like his face was always there. he always looked like he was just sort of like focused on the match, which maybe is also part of his character. I well, mean he's one of the few guys yeah it's sort of a um a stoic pathos, if that makes any yeah. sense. Is it kind of like a Bruce Lee riff a little bit? Definitely. A little bit, yeah. yeah okay. Definitely. Like yeah. Karate Kid was like big at that time. <laughs> sure, yeah. they, sure. They were, you know, Good smart, call. smart marketing. He's one of the few guys ever who was only smart a babyface. Wow. Rick, Rick Flair actually <laughs> says of him that he would have been the greatest of all time, except he only worked babyface. I, Which I, I hear the same criticism for Rey Mysterio a lot of mm-hmm. the time. 
I mean, he was a heel for that tiny little bit of time in the Filthy Animals or whatever, but that doesn't yeah. really count. R- Ric Flair said uh, of his uh, past with Ricky Steamboat, he always tried to get Ricky Steamboat to come to the bar and get hammered with him and go to bed with some of the ladies in there because his wife would never find out and everything. And he said all Ricky Steamboat ever did would he'd come down, he'd have like one light beer and then maybe a chocolate milk and then go to his hotel room because <laughs> you know he's what? an incorruptible guy. <laughs> also, no matter what kind of shape you're in, yeah. I would be so intimidated to fuck next to Ric Flair, right? Because <laughs> Rick, I like, I would right. just, who, like Ric Flair's going to fuck for nine hours. Like, what are you, what that's, are you going to do? He you're... says that on television that that's what he's going to do. <laughs> I'm going to show you some of Ric Flair's NWA promo sometime. If he didn't really do it, someone would have called him on it by now. <laughs> that, that's the thing everyone said about Ric Flair. It's like you'd, you'd go to the bar with him every night, and you'd get hammered until well after midnight, and then in the morning, he'd knock on your hotel room door at 6.30 a.m., like, time to go to the gym, and then... You're like, but Rick. I'm. Mean, he's like, nope. And that's why he was Ric Flair, and you're not. Oh my yeah. god! Like I, I stopped by a friend's place earlier, and I had one beer today, and yeah. I was like, I was like, oh my god, am I gonna fucking make it to six thirty? I'm so, <laughs> I'm already ready for a nap. Uh, so uh, one thing about Steamboat's face that I, I mean, because he has uh, in other matches, he has good expression. Uh, this match is notable, and Randy Savage in general would do this. He liked to plan out his matches very specifically in advance. Everybody who's worked with him a lot has said this. And, and this was one of the earliest instances of yeah, that yeah. in wrestling, right? He has, he, this is around the first time he would have the clout in the WWF to really like go up to somebody and be like, here's what we're going to do point by point. Randy Savage fully intended on having the best match anybody had ever seen that night. So he, uh, as told by Steamboat, he wrote out and numbered everything that they were going to do, like move number one down to like move number 100. And he made Ricky Steamboat memorize the whole thing. And he said and Steamboat said that for weeks beforehand, whenever he had passed Savage in the hall, Savage would be like 45. And then he'd have to say what number 45 on the paper was. Damn. And uh, I would, wouldn't be surprised if that was Ricky Steamboat's face just trying to remember the next thing. That yeah. fucking totally true. No, because yeah. I, I kept thinking like he looks like he's like thinking really yeah. hard about like, something. Like, he has well, other classic matches both before and after this, by the way, with Rick Flair. And somebody asked him like, well, what did, did you like your matches with Savage better or your matches with Flair? <clears throat> and he said, well, did you like actually doing them? And he said, well, with Randy Savage, I had to remember everything point by point and perform it specifically. With Ric Flair, they'd tell us what the finish was. And send us to the ring. And then we'd wrestle for 45 minutes. And as perfect as this match is, if there's any hesitation and any, like, little tiny botchy little stuff, it, it is on Steamboat's end. Yeah, <laughs> there, there's some moments working. where he's not quite sure. He's not used to uh, working. That, that, that's that a tall ask, though, to be like, here's a list of 350 moves. Memorize yeah. all of them. Now, you, you picked the matches for this episode. Yeah. yeah so, so, well, some of them, I think, right? Was, was well, I asked you if you wanted to do this one in particular, okay, yeah. okay, and yeah. you, you you said that it, you affirmed that it was the greatest match of all time. my favorite match of all time. So, uh, yeah. well, I, I so, would yeah, like, and then the, you picked the bad one. Yeah, I, I would like to hear you talk about why this is your favorite match of all time. I just because I remember at, in context to that time, there was nothing like this match. At least not on on the maybe NWA and AWA and all these other companies had similar, but it, not the AWA. <laughs> but. It was just like, and I I remember watching this match, and actually, like, I usually gravitated towards baby faces, especially when I was like nine years old. I'm watching this match, and I'm like, I really want Macho Man to win, which was just abnormal 
to like want a heel to win. I just was like, I'm so behind this guy right now, and I was actually upset when he lost. But uh, it it's one of those matches that you can now pluck it out of 1987, drop it into any wrestling show today, and it would work. It would yeah. it, it would be well received. The crowd, no nobody like there's probably countless matches from that era that you can watch today and you just are like this is horrible why the, is this a match the stuff involving liz is a bit antiquated which i'm sure we'll get into i mean uh, in a little bit but but the wrestling itself yeah, yeah. is certainly i mean because because george Steele's character up. at that time oh, the animal, yeah, yeah. yeah i mean he he was a heel for most of his career and then he was very much winding down by then he and, looks uh his in at least in his face mm-hmm. he appears to be 100 and seventy five years <laughs> yeah. old. Well, let's let, let's let's pause for a second. Do you know anything about George Steele? Or uh, other than one of the only people I've ever seen with more back hair than me. Okay, so <laughs> he was like you know this monster character. You know, had green stuff in his mouth. In make the seventies. Yeah, 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 and they started doing this thing where he like the crowd started cheering for him. They they switched him over to babyface. They explained his his origin story. They were giving him electroshock treatments. So he could start talking. And he, he started forming like a word or two every now and then, and the crowd would pop for it. He had a stuffed animal that he called mine, <laughs> and then they sold you know stuffed mines to kids. He would yeah, he was a brilliant performer. He would <laughs> regularly eat turnbuckle pads. He would just like rip them open and start stuffing the stuffing in his I mouth. That, that was one of his big signature things. That arenas would like to go. Oh, look at the animal! He's tearing up the turnbuckle pad. Right. Co- you know, cotton everywhere or styrofoam everywhere. It was just just what a spectacle. So so the, the backstory to that was that they were kind of trying to make like a King Kong thing. Like he's this monster sure. that's infatuated with Elizabeth. And simultaneously, they maintain that very, very, they, they didn't, I don't think they outright said it because they probably couldn't back then, but they're basically trying to imply that Macho Man was like an abusive, I don't, I don't know if they acknowledged they were together, but you know, she was his manager. And they would show like there was the the, the was toxic... clearly domineering. Yeah, well, the toxic... Mary Hart tried to interview her yeah. before the match, and Savage came in and interrupted. Yeah. It was like, oh, you want to talk to me? I'm the star. Well, here. there was there was the one where they're showing their estate, and um, they they're up they're up high on like like a, like a like a diving thing. It wasn't a board, but it was like a waterfall kind of thing. And Macho Man's like, we're taking swimming lessons, and he, like he just shoved Liz off this thing into the water, and she just and and him and Jesse Ventura just like laugh it up, like, oh, that's Jesse so funny. Ventura, you just right. you just pushed you know a woman on in, you know. And to the water, ha, ha, ha. The more like the toxic masculinity man, Randy. Yeah. yeah. Well, so well, that was kind of the point of the character. Like yeah. his point of being a heel, what made him a heel in many ways was his relationship with Liz. You know, that would be you know the 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 very good woman and the very bad man. They played off each other. People loved Liz because they could see that that savage isn't treating her right. Like, and she, she wasn't a heel. Better. Like she stood. And, yeah. She, yeah. She stood by her her client but she yeah. wasn't a heel. And, and he was so bad because as skilled as he was, he was arrogant, and he showed that he was arrogant by blocking his manager yeah. all the time and physically and mentally domineering it. It was a great act, and, and it worked for years. And so macho, but so insecure exactly. about it. And it's actually remarkable, because the, the WrestleMania two Intercontinental match was Macho Man defending against George Steele. So there, this match actually had story going back a year with George Steele being at ringside. And I think Steele got disqualified, if I remember correctly, in WrestleMania 2, or Savage got disqualified. I think Savage got disqualified. Uh, and then I think he eventually pinned him on a Saturday night's main event, like using mm-hmm. cheating and stuff like that. Oh. Uh, but um, just one more thing on the on the Liz-Steele relationship. So the whole thing was that Liz kind of liked Steele. Um, and it was it's this really bizarre sort of thing where... It was King Kongy. King Kongy, but yeah. also Steele 
represents kind of the average wrestling fan yeah. who might have wanted a chance with Liz and thought that they could treat her better than Savage. It's like you too could have a hairy back and the inability to speak. <laughs> and it, it, it plays into this weird trope that you see in like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And I, I had an I had a uh, English teacher in high school who made a big deal about this, Miss Yoon. Uh, if you're out there, Shout what's up, Miss Yoon? Yeah, Shout I took Yoon. acid in your class once. So, um, <laughs> uh, changed my life. Yeah. Well, I, I think I might have been listening to her talk about this. So, this common thing in literature where young girls um, are paired up with sort of half men. Of, in, yeah. in some way, like men who are sort of non-threatening because they're not quite fully developed men. Um, and it's supposed to be sort of like a, a practice relationship sometimes for the women. So like, the, the you know, Snow White have the, has the seven dwarfs, but she also related it to like boy bands yeah. and that kind of thing. I Oh, my God. I wish I could remember who I saw posting about this. Um, but um, it's... Uh, Somebody was talking about how it's like kind of weird that um, the way that Marvel like finds like very like non-threatening comedic actors and then gets them like super fucking ripped <laughs> as if they're like engineering yeah. these like non like sexy but non-threatening like like you know yeah that's how you, that's how you make movies that's how you get people yeah. In. Like and yeah, like with Paul Rudd and with Kamel Nanjiani and I, you know, a bunch of other people. Even like I saw like a picture of like Chris Hemsworth from uh, 2004 or something, <laughs> and he's just like a normal tall person. Even Pratt, right, was on, yeah. On, Pratt uh, was uh, popular for being Parks a schlub. Yeah, yeah, he was a schlub. Um, who uh, and is, mentally still is. Yes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. We did. We didn't. He. That's. We got to know him too well. That's why. Don't get to know your celebrities too well. Because uh, they turn out to suck. Um, uh, who's refing this match? This was Dave Hebner, and I, uh, I, yes. I, I don't the know. Twin of Earl Hebner, who you've oh, mostly okay, seen. Okay, yeah, he's uh, excellent fucking ref acting in this match. Uh, and Jesse Ventura is letting him have it, which I, I noticed they did that a lot back then. They would they would really crap all over the refs if the refs were doing a bad job. Like mm. even Gorilla would be like, I don't know what's wrong with this official. He should be doing. They should be doing that. This is one of the best examples of the Ventura monsoon dynamic, by the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Be because Ventura is right about everything. And, yeah. <laughs> and monsoon has to come up with these ridiculous rationalizations to, like,. He's uh, like, Steele's picking him up and putting him back in the ring so he doesn't get counted out. Like, physically, he's dragging him into the ring, Gorilla. Yeah, yeah. And if Savage wins by count out, he'd keep the title. So that's clearly cheating. Just get disqualified. There was one where, when uh, Steamboat uh, backdrops. Macho Man over the top rope, yeah. and, and Jesse Ventura starts yelling that should be a DQ, and it's like, no, this, not, isn't, not here, man. this isn't the NWA. Stop it. Yeah. Um, well, it was only because Monsoon complained about Savage doing the hot shot yeah. to Steamboat mm. and thought that should be a DQ. None of these things Because it was deliberate, as, as he put right. it. Right. He's like, what do you think? He fell into it by accident? What's up with the ring car thing? That was a thing that they just did, for probably because they didn't have a lot of stadium WrestleManias at that time, and they just were like, it's a long way. Let's just have... <laughs> Because um, yeah. it's funny because they did that at they did it at three and then they did it at six and then they did it sort of at nine except they had like vehicles. Oh. Well, nine is a whole it, other story. Also, they did it at six with the exception of the Ultimate Warrior and Hogan, right. who ran all. The, oh, Hogan. Well, was, Hogan. I, I was gonna say I remember. And Hogan walks it in WrestleMania three. Also, he does. He, he uh, parades right, down. Right, yeah. Right. Hogan, doesn't Hogan get carted back? And and six he That's does. Six, okay. Yeah. 
I remember watching that Ultimate Warrior match where he, like, runs this incredible distance all the way to the ring, and he gets there, and then does his whole opening act, and then, like, after, like, a minute, you, he just visibly looks like, oh, fuck, like, I'm already out, I'm already out of energy. Yeah. Good thing <laughs> like, there were a lot of bear hugs in that match. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, right, so the, the other thing with the carts that I'd like to point out for WrestleMania 3, uh, Andre really needed one. Like uh, Andre wasn't uh, in as bad shape as he would be a couple of years later, but like you saw the Hogan-Andre match. Like Andre was having trouble walking around the ring. He wasn't going to be able to get all the way down well, that aisle. He could have if they let him use his cane, but considering he was wrestling for the world championship, yeah. that's not a good look. Okay, yeah, uh, but he also, in addition to having back problems, he was very, very drunk at that time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, he put, th that's he, what he used for painkillers, yeah, basically. He, he would put down like several bottles of wine before Ugh. a match. So a couple more things about the match. Um, the backstory to the match where Savage takes out Steamboat with the ring bell to what the announcers yeah. called the Larynx. I, I wrote that down here. That, that, larynx. Uh, larynx is yeah. the way you pronounce Jesse that Jesse Ventura says it multiple times. Larynx, larynx, larynx. That it, and I noticed Gorilla, every every like hit, like strike move that um, uh, Steamboat throws, he calls a karate shot. Everything Steamboat does is a karate shot. Um, but th that's that thing with the ring belt and and also the uh, hitting him with Savage hitting Steamboat with the double axe handle off the top rope onto the barricade. Uh, those that was some of the more violent stuff that had happened in wrestling that I saw as a kid. I feel like a lot of Savage's storylines always felt much more serious than a lot of the rest of the product. More savage. More savage, uh. if you will. Um, and by the way, I absolutely love when when the initial incident happened when he when he attacked Steamboat. Um, that was when uh, Bruno San Martino was a backstage interviewer at the time, an announcer, oh, and no. he's backstage. He's interviewing Macho Man, and he's like, "This was terrible." He's just he's just baby facing it up, and I love this so much. He's just like, "How could you be happy about that?" And Macho Man starts, "I'm so proud of myself," and. Bruno fires up and he goes, you piece of slime, you're happy about it. And he starts strangling him and like the entire <laughs> locker room comes out to get Bruno off of Macho Man. Oh, Bruno. It, is, it is one of my favorite promos of all time. <laughs> they ended up having a match at some point. They, they did. And I, I think Macho Man like sneaks a victory somehow. But yeah. then he puts him, uh, uh, Bruno puts him in a bear hug and they, they booked him like a monster. Like the locker room comes out and they're yeah, trying yeah. to get Bruno off of Macho Man. Just to establish, like, what, like, a well, dominant... Why, why would you use Bruno unless you want to portray him as the guy who retired voluntarily because right. he had been on top for 15 years <laughs> and was just done? It's like, yeah, I saw he's a little older. He'll still squeeze you till your eyes pop, they, you know? They really made yeah. him... I, like, I felt like, wow, they really, like... They gave him, like, the Brock treatment. Yeah. Kind of, like... uh, so the, yeah. the finish of the match, yeah. by the way, is, you know, uh, Savage goes for the ring bell again, goes to the top rope, and the animal shoves him off of the top rope. And they claim that his head hits the bell, though. It didn't come anywhere was, near it. Gorilla always would just change the narrative a little bit. Like, they would literally give the attendance for a show. And Gorilla would be like, I don't know. They said it's 20,000. looks more like it's 28,000 to me. And it's like, okay, Gorilla. Why, why would they lie about that? <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, right. Yeah. So, yeah, he's like, the bell rammed Savage in the face. No, it didn't. So Savage is kind of woozy off of that. His back hurts. He goes to pick up uh, Steamboat for a slam, and Steamboat reverses it into a small package for the one, two, three. And that finish also just seemed brilliant to me at the time. I, I hadn't seen a lot of really cool, slick finishes when I first saw that match. Yeah, now they're overused, great. if anything. Yeah, that's true. Um, there were a lot of two counts in this match. 
Oh, and that wasn't even a yeah. big thing back in the day. Like, this, no. and it was like rapidly one after the other. Like, you get, you do get. It's another thing you it, get. It was a, lot a way now. to keep people paying attention because they didn't usually see, like you said, yeah. a lot of matches with a lot but of near falls. There, there was a lot of those cool. I don't know if there's a word for this, like the ground rolling reversals. Yeah, kind of where they're yeah, I yeah. guess yeah. Like chain wrestling. But yeah. the other thing about the finish is it's really interesting because Steamboat is obviously the babyface here, and he wins. And but for the babyface to win in such a cheap way, like he, they the f- crowd has to really, really be behind him that they don't care how he wins at all. Yeah. And it's a testament to how well the story was built between them that the fans accepted that finish, though. I think probably some of them were like you and were pissed that Savage lost. Yeah, I was I felt like I was behind Savage during that match for some reason. And it wasn't long before they turned him face. Yeah, It was like shortly after that. I, I think uh, we haven't brought up, you know, Steamboat cut a promo too before this match yeah it was and clash yeah and he's not he's not you know he's he's not the promo randy savage is but he, i don't want to discount it with it he sounds a little wooden but otherwise he's really intense he looks like you know a karate man character he likes that's what he had been doing for years and so he put it on through the camera and people were really into that his real time. name is richard karate man yeah, Richard Karate. Man. Like nobody, actually, Richard Blood. Nobody was the promo that Macho Man was. Yeah, like, nobody. That's, that's, it's like unfair. But like, and the other thing is funny because I'm guessing most people probably watched it on the network, and they have that bootleg Alan Parsons Project Serious as his theme because his actual Steamboat's actual theme at that time was Serious by the Alan Parsons Project. Uh, yeah. uh, and they like yeah. changed it to like a bootleg, which I wish I could find because I actually kind of like the bootleg version also. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I like uh, watching through uh, old WW Nitro. I like some of the uh, inserted music better than the music that they would actually use. Like the, the theme they the the theme the net the WWE Network theme for Sid is a real banger for. Uh, which yeah. also funny because the audio, the way they recorded the audio in WCW, yeah. I think the commentary track was on the same recording as the music. So for a lot of the entrances, you just have the music with no commentary. Yeah. Editing that stuff out is such a huge pain in it's the ass. It's got to be brutal. Yeah. Like at least, and they have to do it. Yeah, at least WWE had it isolated. I, I've heard the rumblings are that Ring of Honor is working very hard on scrubbing their catalog because they want to put their whole catalog from back in the day on their streaming service, and it's not on there now because they used all that licensed music. And they can't just put it all out. The, uh, the licensed music was so important to so many of the characters, yeah. though, at the time. What is Brian Danielson without the final countdown, right. besides being the greatest wrestler the of all time? Wrestling, we are the champions. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, oh, that's yeah. even more important. Yeah. Uh, so the other match that we watched today. We watched uh, another match? I um, uh. So uh, I'm going to be honest. A lot of the times when you guys are talking... You know, it's a lot of words, and I'm in and out. Like, I, and you know, I try to pay attention, but it's not. It doesn't always happen. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be real honest about that. So it's when fine. we We've were watching, in the deep end. it's okay. When we were wa- I, when I started watching this, I kind of had this like, did we like have a discussion about this? No, Is so there this, a, so like, Matt, I, I could not understand what, what what the context was. So I asked Matt for a bad match. To pair with this good match, uh, and this is this is the bad match of the two. Yes. Well, was, I knew it was a I knew it was a bad match. I guess it was. Just, we've watched a lot of like bad matches that are I guess are spectacularly bad or something like that, and because we have actually delved very little into like weekly Raw episodes and that kind of shit. So this was like kind of one of the first like 
Blah matches. So the seen? match, the match is Shawn Michaels versus Vladimir Kozlov from the March second, two thousand nine edition of Monday Night Raw. And Matt, why don't you tell us why this stuck out in your mind as a particularly bad match? Well, any wrestling fan knows that Shawn Michaels can have a amazing match with an inanimate object. Yes, see WrestleMania ten, and I wait. Razor Ramon was also in that match. I I know, but was but, he really? <laughs> I mean, he, he did climb the ladder at the end, but like, spoiler <laughs> alert. But Razor, Razor knows what he's doing, but yeah, your point is made. Yeah. Uh, so, it, it, gen- I mean, literally the year before, they had him in the ring with Ric Flair because Ric Flair wanted to have the best possible match he could have as his last match, and he and it was Shawn Michaels. Cause, Real? Oh, man. We, yeah, oh, we, we will we watch that. We'll when we do the Ric Flair that, episode. Yeah. 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 And like that was obviously like kayfabe, but also real yeah. at the same time. So, Fantastic. Yeah. So... At, at this time, what was what was really funny about this? So we're building to at WrestleMania in in a, in a few weeks. It's going to be the Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, which a lot of people think is the greatest match of all time. It it is a phenomenal match. Um, it was at WrestleMania twenty five. Um, before they had this encounter, Shawn Michaels and Undertaker had had several matches in the past. Shawn Michaels always either won them or they were the match was thrown out because it became a schmaz. But so Undertaker never actually had like a victory over Shawn Michaels and. They're obviously playing up at this point that Undertaker is undefeated at Res- at WrestleMania. So Shawn Michaels is now like, well, he's never beaten me. I'm gonna end the streak, and you know he's got. They both have these catalogs of careers behind them, so like they both have a lot of juice going into this. Vladimir Kozlov is yeah. is on the roster for about a year, and he's he's undefeated. And I'm using air quotes for anybody who's not in the room. So wait, explain this. So he was undefeated. So air quotes are usually a thing. No, that not you the do. way air quotes are. <laughs> Matt, explain in what way he was actually defeated so, and not undefeated. So he was undefeated for a good portion of this year, but what happened was he started losing matches. He like I think by, he lost one by DQ, lost one by Countout. I think he was actually pinned during Survivor Series. So he hadn't been pinned or submitted in a one-on-one right. match. Right, and they start they start kind of just carving up the narrative a little bit to say, you know, well, he's never been pinned. And and then they kind of just e- expanded on that back to he's undefeated, mm. but like he at this point like he had I guess you could say like in a, in a one on one confrontation he hadn't been pinned but that just got became undefeated. So the week before this match it might have been yeah it was the week before this match on he, SmackDown on SmackDown he wrestles the Undertaker it was like a throwaway match I was like oh the Undertaker calls him. and he just Undertaker's going for old school which you know it's when yeah. he walks the top rope like a tight rope right okay and, then and, then, yeah, 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 and he would jump out and just kind of club you with the forearm he catches him and power slams him and then gets a, a quick one two three and the crowd is like wait what so now they're really milking this Kozlov is undefeated thing he, he just beat the Undertaker no one beats the Undertaker and so now we're in the next week the winner of this match Undertaker and Shawn Michaels gets to go on to wrestle Kozlov and Shawn Michaels what'd I say Undertaker yeah um Gets to go on and wrestle Undertaker WrestleMania, and Shawn Michaels tries to have a good match with Kozlov. And the only thing I could g- gather from, and actually, this match was slightly better watching it the second time. I think I just am watching it with kinder eyes. Maybe it looks like they kind of gave Kozlov the chance to be the ring general in this match and just said, "Hey, like, well, I'll let you control what happens." And I guess Kozlov had just no ideas because. When yeah. Kozlov is in control, of the, he's pacing the match out and, like, nothing is happening. That's when I thought it really went downhill. Like, you get the beginning, Kozlov's throwing HBK around. That looked fine. The finish where, where HBK inevitably wins is fine. But Kozlov's heat, 
was just like he's you know, I don't know he does like a torture rack, which maybe is good. A bear hug. But here's the, the he, moves aren't badly done. but no, I'm bear just hug completely the uninterested. The bear hug. He kneels. They're both kneeling, and he bear hugs oh. him while kneeling. I've never seen that before, and it oh. looks awful. It looks terrible. Yeah, I, I'm like watching this. I really got the feeling, like especially like this is like you know a. a very, this is shortly before Shawn Michaels, like, uh, you know, leaving. Uh, like, I don't know if he ever, like, retired, retired. But, like, this is shortly before at the end of uh, Shawn Michaels' like, major television career. It's about career. a year before, yeah. Um, he lo- Shawn, like, facially looks haggard and and older and stuff. But he comes in. He still has more energy than I had as a child. <laughs> uh, he still bounces around. You can tell he's putting in everything he has and like there were i think the second there's like two or three times in this where there's just a long pause where nothing happens and then one of them starts punching the other one a whole bunch uh most hilariously there's one part where kozlov is like pressing michaels over his head and Michaels is just punching Kozlov in the head while he's being so overhead that, pressed, that I'm okay and that with. goes on for no, no yeah. not that, that it's bad, yeah. but that's clearly a to me that clearly read as them being like, well, what do we do next? Why so, do, what do you want to do next? Or Sean being like, go to the next thing. Yeah, I'm punching yeah, yeah. you in the head. Put me down and do something well, else. There's yeah. like, like, there's a lot of like older guys, especially like I feel like uh, British wrestlers and, and UK wrestlers in general have that that notion of like trying to make it look real. And like when you're in like a fireman's carry, you don't just hang in the fireman's carry. You try to like fight your way out of it and like you know go grab their nose, grab their fingers, like look like you're actually yeah, look, trying to get out of a move. Sure. Don't look like you're cooperating. Yeah. Because when you're just being press slammed and you just are hanging, like why would you just hang there unless you were unconscious? And if you're unconscious, yeah. what's the point? of being press slammed but it's also up to the guy who's getting punched to like make it look like it's a little more difficult yeah, make for it look them. like it's a struggle or, yeah. but yeah it, you pause for a second so the cameras can take shots arf 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 yeah that's yeah. actually somebody getting murdered yeah. <laughs> you pause for a second to you pause for a second for the cameras to take pictures and then you do your move you don't just stop because you're frozen. Now it's interesting what you said about how like it looked like Kozlov was like calling the match and Sean was performing it. Uh, I know you're probably just coming that off the top of your head, but you know around this time frame, a year or two before, Sean had a pay per view match with Chris Masters, who at the time was very like young. And Chris Masters had said like, you know, to anyone who doesn't think he had any ideas, which if you followed his career later, he had some ideas they just didn't use. He says that he called the whole match with Sean Michaels, and it was Sean's idea. And Sean said to him. You tell me how this match is structured. I'll perform it to you know the level of Shawn Michaels. And Shawn wanted to see what he had. If he like, can you put together a good match? Because if you can, I'll perform a good match. And if your theory holds any water, and I don't know, one way or another, I could see them trying that with Kozlov. Be like, okay, so do you have a good match in your head at least? At least that yeah. couple of minutes where Kozlov was in control. Yeah. Like, you know, all right, what are you going to do? Because, I mean, Shawn Michaels' merits speak for themselves. We know he can have a good match with right. a ladder, for example. And so... so I, Kozlov seems bad. Yes. So and I didn't even think he, Kozlov was that yes. bad. Like, I, I, he had better matches with other wrestlers at that time. Not, not like, you know, five-star classics, but still, like, this match just fell flat. And for, that, for a Shawn Michaels match with anybody to fall flat, as this one did, just was weird. 
Kozlov, he had a little more success later. They made him, they turned him face and made him a comedy character, teaming with Santino Marella. He was sort of unintentionally funny, and then they transitioned that pretty well into being intentionally funny. But, you know, yeah, he was just another in this long line of, you know, Vince McMahon's um, love for evil Russians. And I don't know, what did he do? He was but some he kind of martial he, artist before this, like right? Like Russian Sambo or something? Yeah, yeah Russian Sambo. Like that. But I, I, I guess, I don't know, maybe I, maybe this wasn't a great example of his character. compared. But, like, he didn't even seem like that Russian. Like, like He didn't seem like anything. He didn't seem like he was doing yeah. or expressing any well, he really kind wasn't. of character. And I, prior, not like, too long before this, he didn't even have entrance music, right? He would just walk to the ring. He started with no music. That's right. Would they dim the lights or something. Like they might give, they might have given was, him a spotlight. I, was, I would love, I will say, I would love to see a wrestler. That would be a fucking power move. Yeah. If you had no music, they do that occasionally. You just like we watched that. We watched that with Champa during the the feud with Johnny Gargano. Yeah, they just the crowd had so him. much oh, heat that oh, they didn't they give him just, music because yeah. they wanted to hear the crowd noise. And our uh, truth for uh, when he first turned heel and was a serious heel, you were talking about that on one of the shows recently that he it, w- it would literally just be his voice going the truth will set you free and he would I just, remember that. he would just walk to the ring there was no music or anything he was such an underrated heel at that time yeah. he, they gave him one main event against John Cena and then immediately made him a joke again yeah yeah, um, but- yeah everything I've seen every, every, every the few moments I've seen of our truth he's a clearly a fucking brilliant performer we'll have to do he always he always adds to the screen when he's on screen apparently Brock loves working with him and wants to work with him more good if, if you believe the rumors. Kozlov, the one really thing he did really well was hitting people with his head. Yeah, he has a large, hard-looking head, and when <laughs> even when Sean comes flying off the ropes at him and he hits him with his head, it looks good. When, when that spot first happened, I thought it looked weird, and then they re, re, they replayed it, and I thought it, it the replay did it a lot of favors because it just looked like it was like a mistimed thing when it first happened. Mm. Um, good editing can really make a good match, yeah. and live editing is one of the hardest jobs in uh, production. I, uh, as evidenced as whenever you see some of it go wrong, you immediately see it, and it looks terrible. And then you think, if you don't have a really good live editor, that would happen all the time. Um, the big failure with Kozlov in general is that, you know, they brought him in you know, as, like, the big Russian heel. I mean, first of all, nobody cared about the Russian heel in the late 2000s. Not really. Certainly not like they did in the 70s or the 80s. But No, I mean, we yeah, we had a solid 18 years where Russia was not the enemy. Yeah. And, and then even if you were to do the Russian heel now like that, this wouldn't be the character that would, like... He's trying to do even Drago from uh, from Rocky Four, mm. and that movie was quite old by then. Yeah, you know. Now it didn't work for a few reasons. First of all, that's an outdated reference. Second of all, he didn't have the charisma to pull off the like Frankenstein monster wrestling that he was trying to do because he wasn't flexible. He didn't do a lot of moves. He was just fear, and they figured they'd make him feared by just having him win matches. But instead, his matches where he won, it just sort of deflated the crowd because they couldn't connect with him. They didn't really hate him. They didn't really like him either. Uh, And around this time, they were starting to realize he wasn't going to be the next big main eventer. I I have not followed or cared much about uh, all the Russiagate shit, but man, it would be amazing to have a uh, a Russian character now who was like fixing elections in NXT or something like that. (laughs) They were even doing this. Like that would be. be If if they wanted, if they didn't want to stay away from overt political references as much as possible. But even 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 um Rusev like six years ago, you know, they had him out there with Lana, and they were showing pictures of Vladimir Putin and saying he's a real leader, not like Barack Obama. Like 
And like Vince just loves to just drudge this up every like half decade or so, and, and just. It's because he was he lived through the Cold War. I think people yeah. like, and it's getting further and further in the past. But people kind of our age and younger, I think, don't quite appreciate the the deep internal cultural force on America and on Russia that was the Cold War. Oh God! And yeah. I mean, just older than like guys like us. If you're 50 now, you know, and we're all like our late 30s and so on. I if you're mean, 50 to get now, a little conspiratorial, yeah. mm-hmm. Vince is good friends with Trump. Yeah, of the course. Russia as a feared evil power is good for conservative politics. It is, and so on. It all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and yeah, I mean, look, look at how, look at how powerful that narrative is. That people very seriously argue. Look, if we guarantee health care for everybody, they're gonna start executing journalists in Central Park, and it's just like, to anybody yeah. born <laughs> a, a little later, they're like, I'm not. I'm not really making that connection, man. Yeah. I don't really see where that's coming from. I mean, not, not to get too far into our politics, not that I mind that when we get into our politics. I was talking to my father, right? And he's like, so what do you, you know, who do you think has a chance? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I don't like to, to make exact predictions, you know. I, I like I like Sanders and he's like, oh, but don't you think like the people here like socialism and just immediately shut it down? And I'm like, a lot of those people are dead now. Yeah. They <laughs> but, died because they didn't have access to good well, health care. Yes, and, and, I- and they're old. I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I was on talking on Facebook with a friend of mine from high school's mom who was like, oh, you know, I guess that the, the kids will be like like uh, the guys like Sanders, like the millennials. And I'm like the oldest millennials are almost 40. We're not, we're not the kids. I know the right and is. And by the way, we're the biggest block of people yeah. in the country. So we should start acting like it. The right is trying to stoke that back up by being like, look at Venezuela. They're socialist yeah. or like something like that. And so they're, yeah, they want to recreate yep. that narrative as much as possible. Uh, interesting. Fun fact uh, in all of the Nordic countries, uh, they, uh, a larger percentage of the economy is under public control than in Venezuela. Um, (laughs) Right. uh, 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 Yesterday, I was having an argument with somebody about, I was like, Michael Bloomberg's not the fucking answer. And I got a shocking amount of pushback on that from, like, other New Yorkers who were like, I didn't think this was going to be an issue. And uh, somebody said to me, look, man, if you choose the lesser of two evils enough times in a row, eventually you wind up with somebody pretty good. Yeah, that's not how that works. That has not how been how no. it has worked. No, no, if no you choose, because the lesser of evil could become more evil in those four or eight yes. years. Yes, sure. yes. Uh, if, if you choose the lesser of two evils over and over again, eventually a guy like Trump shows up and is just like, screw all of you, and yeah. people are going to be like, he makes a lot of sense, and the, give him the white The greater house. of the two evils can become more evil over time, yeah. Yeah. such that the lesser is also more evil. Yeah, you are guaranteed right. to wind up with at least medium evil after a couple rounds of that. Right. Um And... Uh, uh, and unfortunately, Kos- you know, if Kozlov had been evil, I'm going to fucking bring it back around. <laughs> no, no. It'd be way more interesting, but he just, I just right, get though. nothing. All, and- all, his whole character was that I'm Russian. Well, he- and he loves double double E. Did right. you ever see? Did you ever, it's like it's it's so weird and sad to see a Shawn Michaels match that isn't good where he doesn't have chemistry. It <laughs> yeah. kind of reminded me of if you watched uh, Luke Cage on Netflix. Um, there's a scene where, uh, like, um, the dude who plays Luke Cage, uh, Mike Coulter, and, like, Rosario Dawson are two unbelievably attractive people who have less chemistry than I have ever seen two actors have in any <laughs> televised context. And there's a point where, like, they make out, they make out, and it's, like, really, like, 
uncomfortable because they seem like they don't want to be there. And it's just sad to watch two really attractive people have bad chemistry. Especially when his chemistry with Jessica Jones was awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the the soft reboot of Terminator a few years ago, where it was uh, what's her name, Daenerys and and other oh, guy. Oh yeah, I did not. They yeah. they had it was you know Sarah Connor and Kyle Reese, which you know are star crossed lovers. They had no chemistry in this oh. movie. It was awful. Oh, it's so sad. Yeah. And then Shawn Michaels has chemistry with a good number of people, like ninety yeah. percent of the roster. Yeah. But Kaz Kozlov was not one of them. And here's the thing: like you're like, okay, well this match is gonna pick up any minute, and then literally Michaels gets a reversal. He does the elbow, and then just hits Sweet Chin Music and wins. And you're like, that first of all, that's how they end. The undefeated streak that they've been, <laughs> and well, like I said, they realized he's not going to be the next main event, right. so they it, don't need to protect us like, anymore. But they like, did just have him beat the Undertaker yeah, like a, a week, week before that. They yeah. been, and like, and I guess I get like, are right, they going to have him be the guy that Undertaker never beat? Now he's going to beat the guy that just beat the Undertaker, so he's looking like a million bucks going into the WrestleMania match. It f- now, it felt like Vince pulled the plug on Kozlov. Like three quarters of the way through the match, like it felt like Vince was watching. <laughs> like from he backstage. called an audible and was like, "Nope." Yeah, he yeah. was watching from backstage, and he was like, "You know what? I made a mistake. That's very. I, I made a fucking it mistake. We're, we're shutting this down right now." It might have also just been Sean being like, "Man, this heat was so bad. This comeback is going to be fairly cold. Let's keep it short." Yeah. Well, also we, one thing that you pointed out, Evan, uh, this is a this is a raw match. This isn't a pay per view match. They have very strict time things because they need to go like you know here's the commercial break. The match is all. quick. I, well, I don't even think yeah. there was a commercial break in this match. Right? No, it's, no. It's, it's, it's so emotion. they don't have to necessarily. The point of a match like this isn't necessarily to have the greatest match you've ever seen. I mean, it should have been better than this. But it's like they knew that the comeback and finish would be real quick in this one. They wouldn't do a full because I don't think the point of the match was to showcase Sean. I think the point of the match was. To see if Kozlov could piece something together, and he just really couldn't. And it, and it's you know that's the a, a perennial theme of my issue with wrestling is like, is the is the massive variance in quality and the fact that you never really know what you're getting when yeah. you get the, when you get there, and it just seems like it's really frustrating to have a tossed off match. Like I understand like you got to have a show tonight, come hell or high water, you got to fill this time. But it's like, it sucks to see a, a bad match that's a waste of time with a guy who's not fucking good at you, it. You Which bring, describes pretty much every match on weekly WWE you television up, You bring up a days. really, really excellent point, too, because WWE is supposed to be like the A wrestling show in the world. Yes. They're supposed to be hiring and procuring only the best talent that's out there, and all these guys are supposed to be able to just work at, like, an amazing work rate that just blows everything else out of the water, and then you just have this weird... This to is- that to that point, um, they had had their developmental system for a few years at this point. Well, this is back during that period, yeah. But they hadn't really refined it into like what NXT became. Mm-hmm. So they were actually having trouble finding talent. Yeah, there because there weren't other promotions to steal. Well, this is when they were home big- growing everything, and it wasn't working out. Right, they had started to home yeah. grow everything. Oh, because OBW worked for a few years, and then it kind of stopped. They had no direct competition to take from. So yeah, they hadn't quite figured out how to develop new crops of talent yeah. all the time. As opposed to now, where they've signed so many people that it's hard to even differentiate yourself in developmental. You know, one of the, one of my big one of the big things I've really learned doing this, and it seems obvious in retrospect, but it's something I was not aware of at the time. Is you know we've watched matches that take place like you know like outside in front of a group of like fifty people that are a lot better than what 
you know, airs on average on fucking like yep. WWE yeah, television. You see a really good band in a club <laughs> yes. opening yes. No, for exactly. you know. Hey, oh, it's, like, it's the same if, thing. If, you, if you're that good every night, eventually you'll play the you'll play the arenas. The cream Maybe. rises to the top, as Macho Man once said. Cream rises. I, actually, to the top. I, I took a couple yeah. of notes that I just had yes. to comment yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, please. Had, yeah, bring, bring it on. Bring they on. keep they keep driving home. This is the 25th anniversary of WrestleMania. No, it's not. It's no, the twenty fourth anniversary. Right, it's the twenty right. fifth WrestleMania, WrestleMania twenty five. Yeah. Um, yeah. Somebody in the crowd had a, a sixteen one sign, but then the one was crossed out, and I couldn't tell if that meant like there that he would not lose the match. This is for Undertaker. I guess that's or, like a weird yeah, yeah double um, thought. When when <laughs> Shawn Michaels first hits that um that elbow smash before he hits the sweet chin music, he he's going for the elbow smash, and Jerry Lawler yells. I wouldn't do that. Why wouldn't you do? You've been watching Shawn Michaels wrestle for like twenty years. Why? Why would he not do one of his signature moves when he has his opponent down? Like it was just like, you mean the the forearm smash? No, when he when he would do the elbow. Oh, like, the elbow from yeah, the top. Yeah, Kozlov's about to do. It looks like a belly to belly suplex off the top rope, and uh, Michaels hits him, knocks him off, and then he goes for the elbow. And right, right, right as he's going for it, Jerry Lawler goes, "I wouldn't do that." Like, well, he yeah. wouldn't do that. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> well, like his big move because he couldn't do the pile driver in WF became the the fist off the second turnbuckle yeah. on the inside. Yeah, he would take his the he would take his strap punch, down. And yeah. Then, yeah, I mean, I groan about it. It gets over. It, it does. I can't. The, I can't the, hate the that. And the punch. Yeah. He. I mean. Yeah. I mean. I like yeah. a good fist drop. Yeah. I like a good fisting every now and then. There you go. Well, on that note, uh, unless uh, do we have some final thoughts or we have so, we? What was your yeah. what was your takeaway from these two matches yeah. as, as the non wrestling fan? All right, my takeaway was um, I would like to watch some more Randy Savage for the premium for this episode. Yeah. I think we'll watch more. I, Savage. I, I I I got I had ar- I already knew that Savage's promos were fucking untouchable. Uh, I learned more about his wrestling stuff, and I would like to watch more Ricky Steamboat too. Um. Uh, I, I think you know we'll, I we'll almost surely do Flair Steamboat yeah, at some yeah. point. Yeah, I, I knew that was coming. Yeah. Um, and uh, and my takeaway was to just confirm my belief, uh, my my positive feelings about Shawn Michaels because you know what, watching somebody go out there and really try to work with a guy who's just a fucking wet sack, <laughs> uh, like you really respect the job of wrestling and you really respect the fact that like. This dude is like he's one of the greatest performers on earth, and he's still fucking got to go out there and work with schmucks sometimes. And I, I just, uh, I appreciated that. Yeah, speaking of a wet sack, Kozlov's little white trunks were just awful. Yeah, uh, real gross. I approved. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I thought it was, I, that's a throwback to the eighties, and I totally approve that's of true. that. Yeah, I thought Kozlov's style would have worked much better in nineteen oh, like nineteen eighty two. Really, you think whatever, the evil yeah. Russian character would have worked better in the nineteen eighties? <laughs> I mean, well, yes. I mean, just his Everything wrestling style. Him. You know, I mean, even then, like uh, uh, Nikolai Volkov was doing it better. <laughs> I do feel like Sheamus is somebody you could just. Drop into like 1984, and he just oh, yeah. work amazingly well. Well, well Seamus is a hundred times like, the worker the yeah. Kozlov is, but yeah, I think you're right. Looks like an action figure. He, he's, as he's got a great style look. at yeah. the time. Great physique, great great work rate. He's, they could have done, and there was a lot. You know, he, they could have done a whole troubles storyline with Seamus. Uh, <laughs> oh, the troubles in <laughs> yeah, Ireland. No, yeah, yeah, no, that actually would have been very the, sad. That's probably. what the the reference to the uh, the violence in Northern Ireland yeah. um, in the up until the 1980s. Yeah. I am a wrestling historian. I'm not a that's historian. That's <laughs> so the, the IRA and everything, the Catholics and Protestants killing each other for years and years. 
That sounds terrible. It was, it was, it was a yeah, thing. Yeah, it was a bad time. It was a bad time. Bad um, we got U2 out of it, which early albums were solid, but, you know, Certainly. that was about it. Nothing uh, since 01. No, 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 not at all. Um, Matt, this was a fucking great episode. Yeah, thank you very uh, much we, for coming around, man. Yeah, we would love to have you back anytime, um, and in, in which... We'll ask you more questions about your wrestling-related photography, which is fucking really cool, and people should go check out. That's at Matty2J, M-A-T-T-Y, the number 2-J-A-Y on Instagram. I also post a lot of burlesque pictures, so if you're offended by boobies, don't follow me. Uh, wrestling and burlesque, you know what? Makes sense. Yeah. I, I, can't, I can't fully explain why, uh, but it just uh, absolutely they're, makes They're sense. quite related. Yeah. That's something we should talk about with you on a future yeah. episode, yeah. for sure. Lucha Vavoom and oh, those yeah. kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, and we're, we're doing a premium episode with you about Hulk Hogan that yeah, our $5 tier Patreon <laughs> subscribers should look out for. But yeah, we should definitely have you on to talk about burlesque and wrestling and also just modern indie wrestling because yeah. you're certainly a connoisseur of that as well. Yeah, and on that note, if, if you want more contesting wrestling, including this premium episode we're about to record, uh, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash contesting wrestling. Uh, for $5 a month, you get a whole extra episode every week. We have a lot of ideas brewing for, for other stuff we're going to do this year, and uh, that'll all go up on there past our usual battery of episodes. So, uh, yeah, give us a shot there. We have a bunch of stuff already up. Follow us on Twitter at ContestingW. Uh, and Instagram at Contesting Wrestling Podcast. And, uh, and uh, Facebook, too. Uh, Facebook, uh, yes. We okay. exist look, there look as for well. Us. You'll find Do you guys it. have a Google Plus or a MySpace? Or? I'm pretty sure Google Plus folded because nobody was on it. <laughs> it is. I was I on get, Google Plus. I get, you know, maybe we should make a TikTok. You should make TikTok. is fucking great. Yeah, TikTok actually seems like a lot of fun. I did yeah, a does, TikTok with one of my cousins, and it was awesome. We did one of those dances. We yeah. learned it's it. Like, it's like Vine, but like there's more stuff you can do, kind of, right? It, a little yeah, bit. It, sort yeah, of. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. so it'll be all kinds of stuff. Eventually, we're going to keep doing this podcast for years, and you'll just be able to plug it into your brain feed. Um, Please. And then, uh, we'll you have know. an edible version and smell little vision. Yes, <laughs> yeah. There, we will have, there, you will be able to put rest, episodes of Contesting Wrestling in your butt and absorb all of the knowledge and jokes and stuff. Contesting it'll, Suppositories. Yep. Uh, pre-order them at contesting w on twitter